0: You know, many great stories involve moments where the characters go through things that at least at the time seem chaotic or frustrating, even tragic, only to find later that it all works out in the end. They go through seasons of bad news, then maybe some good news, maybe some more bad news, and then some more good news. Several years ago, I took, our son came to Six Flags on one of those dreadfully hot July days. Why anybody would do that, I have no clue, but I did. And uh, so while we're there at Six Flags, uh, we're riding one of the roller coasters, it's the one that's like a bobsled. And I realized right after the ride is over that I had my key to my car in my pocket and it was now gone, it was lost to the ride somewhere. And uh, that was bad news. It was bad news because uh, McKinney is like 50 minutes away from Arlington, so that's really bad news. Um, The good news was that we had another key at our house. The bad news was I couldn't get it. But the good news was that Holly was there. She could bring it to us. Uh, The bad news was that she'd have to drive that hour and sit in all that traffic to get it to us. But the good news was that she was happy to do it. Uh, uh, I think, I think. So last week, Holly and I decided to take our girls to Six Flags, and again, on one of those hot July days. Why we did that, I have no clue. But I had learned my lesson. So I made sure to give uh, Holly the key to her car, and I said, here, will you please put this in your bag, your purse, because I don't want to lose it. I've done that before. Well, there was a point in the day when uh, I needed to go out to the car to get something, and um, so I go out there and get this, and then I come back, and, and I'm on the Texas Giant. You may be familiar with that one. That's one of the old roller coasters there. And uh, the, the car comes back in, uh, we finish the ride, and um, I say to myself, oh no, I think I forgot to give Holly that key back. And I did, and I reached in my pocket, and it's gone. The key is gone. Addison was behind me on the roller coaster, and she told me after, she said, Dad, I saw your key fly over my head. And, she said, I thought about reaching up and grabbing it. Yes, you should have, Addison. You should have grabbed it. So bad news, bad news. Now the good news was that we had another key to Holly's car back at our house, but the bad news was Holly was with me this time. She couldn't, <laughs> yeah, she couldn't bring it to me, but the good news is that Holly's mom, Bonnie, she lives in McKinney, so she was able to bring it to us. The bad news was she had to sit in all that traffic but the good news was she was happy to do it, <laughs> and I think. So bad news followed by good news, good news followed by bad news. And in reality, that so often marks our lives. We need to take a biopsy, bad news. But a few days later, the test results come back and it's benign, good news. You're laid off from your job, bad news but then you embark on a new career that you love, good news. You're pregnant with your first child, good news. But then the child doesn't make it, bad news. And so if the bad news times of life are inevitable, is there any hope for us? Is there any encouragement? And is there any good news in the midst of all of the bad news? Is it true that it will all work out in the end? If you have your Bible, I wanna invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10. This is page number 700 in the Pew Bible if you wanna turn there. And these are the most important words that you're gonna hear spoken today because this truly is the word of the Lord. So Daniel chapter 10, would you stand with me as we stand in honor of the reading of God's word? I'm gonna begin in verse one of Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl or topaz, My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, "Old Daniel, man greatly loved, Understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words." The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. God, we pray today that you would bless the reading of your word, the teaching of your word, and that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, and to our minds, we wanna see you. We wanna see Jesus, and we know that you want us to see Jesus, so would you speak now? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You can be seated. At this point in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is 85 years old, about 85 years old. He's been a slave in Babylon for 70 years, away from his home in Jerusalem. But Daniel was a man of God, he was faithful to God, and God had blessed him. Daniel was still prospering, still serving, high up in the government there in Babylon. And what we see from Daniel's life is that God was orchestrating every single moment. And we've said that's the theme of the book of Daniel, that God is in control. Really, if you don't remember anything else from our time of studying the book of Daniel, remember that, that God is in control. Students, as you face growing up in a world that so often rejects God and the truth of of his word, remember that God is in control. And all of us, as we face the uncertainties of life, we need to remember, not forget for a single moment that our God is in control. And so in the second half of Daniel, Daniel receives these visions from God about what is to come in the future for his people. The end of Israel's captivity is near. That's good news, but that does not mean that things are about to get easier for God's people. And so in chapter 10 through 12, Daniel receives the fourth and final vision from the Lord and chapter 10 is really the introduction to the vision. The vision itself doesn't come until chapter 11. And there are some hard things to understand here in chapter 10 and 11 and 12, but here is what is most clear. Life is so often full of bad news, but we are not alone in our struggles. Be sure you hear that today. You are not alone in your struggles because no matter how bad things look, with God there is always good news, always. And so verse one tells us that in the third year of Cyrus's reign in Persia, Daniel receives a vision of a great conflict. And that word in the Hebrew, the word conflict, actually means a great war. And it has the idea of great suffering. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist pastor in London in the 1800s, he once told a story about another Baptist minister. And this minister had been uh, in the military, but upon obtaining release from, from the military, he became a pastor. Well, one day he's in the town of Glasgow preaching a sermon, and he desires to go see his aged mother. He hasn't been able to go see his mom in years. So as soon as he sees her, he recognizes her immediately, but this elderly woman does not recognize this man as her son. Well, when he was a little boy, his mother accidentally wounded his wrist with a knife, and at that time, to comfort him, she said, never mind, my boy. That's how your mother's going to remember you when you become a man. And so when this aged woman failed to believe that this young good-looking pastor could be her son, he rolled up his sleeve and said, Mother, don't you remember this? And then immediately they were in each other's arms. And Charles Spurgeon was pointing out as he told this story that suffering is the identification mark of God's people. It simply is what is par for the course. And God is telling Daniel here as he reveals this vision that the future history of his people will involve great suffering, great conflict. And the consequence of seeing this vision is that Daniel the prophet goes into a deep depression. He's already been in a depressive state at the beginning of chapter 10. Verse 2 tells us that as Daniel received this vision, he had been mourning or grieving for three weeks. Verse three says he'd been fasting, not eating. He'd not been anointing himself with oil, oil at that time that would have been used for grooming and bathing, protecting one's skin. And so why was Daniel grieving? Why was he mourning? Well, we need to think about the historical moment that Daniel finds himself here in, in the third year of Cyrus's reign. When King Cyrus became king of Persia in the first year of his reign, he allowed some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding their temple, the place of God's presence and promise. But as soon as the Jews get back there, they realize immediately that life in Jerusalem is not going to be smooth sailing, and they start having opposition on all sides almost immediately. You can read about that in the book of Ezra. And so the work on the temple was stopped for more than 15 years until the time of Haggai and Zechariah. And so this third year that Daniel is in of Cyrus' reign would have been a time of great discouragement for God's people. And so Daniel's mourning. He's not eating. He's not bathing. He's broken. Have you been there? Now Daniel's mourning and... Fasting did however lead him to pray. We see that in verse 12 and that's a great principle for us. Mourning is normal, grieving is human. Jesus even said blessed are those who mourn. But in our mourning, in our pain, in, as we grieve, it's, it's meant to lead us to Jesus, not to run away from him, but to run towards him. And so Daniel is praying, he's crying out to God for the deliverance of his people. And then to speak into that despair, into all that bad news, a man clothed in linen, verse five tells us, with a belt of gold, a body that shines like gemstones, a face like lightning, eyes like fire, arms and legs of bronze, a voice like a multitude. This man appears to him bringing more bad news, but also some really good news. Look what this man would say to Daniel down in verse eleven, in the midst of all of Daniel's depression, he said to me, "Old Daniel, man greatly loved. I love you, Daniel. A young girl sat outside her bedroom, listening to her father talk to his son on the phone. This young girl's brother was a soldier oceans away in Vietnam. And the little girl couldn't hear everything that her dad was saying to her brother on the phone, but she could tell that something was terribly wrong with her brother. You see, the young boy was in a war that he did not understand, that made no sense to him, and as a soldier, he had to do hard things that he could not explain. He was frustrated, confused, angry, and ashamed. And as he spoke to his father, he spoke out of frustration in words that stormed with rage. The great danger to the son at that moment was not the enemy out on the battlefield. It was the weapon that he held in his own hands as he talked to his father. And the father knew it and he did what a father must do. He waited for a pause in the storm of words and said, I love you son more rage, more confusion, more despair, and then another pause in the son's words, and the father again, I love you, son. And so the father, with the power of his words, reached across the phone, across continents, and says over and over to his boy, I love you, son. Because sometimes in our despair, in those bad news moments of life, We simply need to be reminded that we are loved. And I'm convinced that that's what God wants us to hear from this passage today more than anything else. It's really quite simple, but it's the greatest news that you could ever hear. You are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. Through all of the suffering, all of the questions, and all the pain of life, you are greatly loved. Now make that personal and say this with me, I am greatly loved, say that. I am greatly loved, say that again. I am greatly loved, one more time. I am greatly loved. Listen, the bad news is that all of us, everyone in this room will be greatly affected by suffering in our lives. Either each one of us or someone we love will suffer greatly. But with God there's always good news. And the good news is that through it all, you are greatly loved. Our father is saying to us today, I love you son, I love you daughter. You're greatly loved. Now Daniel had already been through so much up to this point in his life. Remember he was exiled as a teenager, forced from his homeland. He was cast into that den of lions, you remember in chapter six for refusing to pray to the king. And now as the government turns from the Babylonians to the Persians, his people get to go back home, that's good news, but then immediately, they're confronted with all kinds of opposition. Daniel's life in many ways was a roller coaster, like the Texas Giant. And then Daniel gets this fourth vision, a vision drenched with more bad news about the future. And he has no strength, he's, he's broken. And this visitor says to Daniel, I need you to understand, Daniel, how great my love is for you. And then Daniel receives good news through three amazing moments. Three times here, Daniel is touched by this man in linen. One pastor, Brian Chapel, calls them the three touches of the gospel. And so first, verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And what we see here is the touch of God's greatness. When this man first touches Daniel, and Daniel trembles on his hands and knees, to tremble in the Hebrew means to shake or to quiver. When we see God in all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his power and holiness, our appropriate response is to tremble as we realize how holy God is and how unholy we are. That's what Daniel is doing here. We see this all throughout scripture. Isaiah, as he sees the Lord in all of his glory and all of his holiness, he says, I am ruined, which means he's destroyed, he's broken at the sight of God's glory. And our immediate response to God's glory should be trembling. But I think so much today, we've lost our all of who God is. Do we tremble? But then God in tenderness says those great words that we've already heard in verse 11. O man, old Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. Stand up, Daniel. Stand upright. Not only do I love you, but I now give you the confidence to stand up before me. Daniel had prayed in chapter 9, verse 18, for we do not present our pleas because of your righteousness because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And God is saying to Daniel, Daniel, you can stand up before me now because you're right. It's not your righteousness that makes you right before me. It's my righteousness. And Steve Wilson here in our church, former pastor, and he and Debbie lead a marriage ministry together. He's really helped me to understand this because so often I can say things like, oh, I'm so unworthy. I can't stand up there on that stage and speak. I can't stand up there and sing. I don't deserve to do that, I'm so unworthy. And Steve reminds me, no, Justin, you are worthy. Jesus has made you worthy through the gospel. And so he's saying, Daniel, stand up. And then he says in verse 11, I've been sent to you. And that's the greatest news in all of history. We could not get to God, so God comes to us. He's saying, Daniel, you couldn't look up to me, and you couldn't come to me, so I've come to you. And We need to hear that today. The hope of your life does not rest in your ability to try and get to God. No matter how hard you try, you cannot get to him. And so God comes to us. That's the name Jesus was given, Emmanuel, God with us. And then this visitor says to Daniel in verse 12, fear not, Daniel, fear not. You don't have to be afraid of me anymore. You don't have to tremble before me. And that's the most repeated command in the Bible, fear not. Don't be afraid. It's what the angel said to Mary and then to Joseph and then to those lowly shepherds. Don't be afraid, fear not. You know, as a little boy, I was so afraid of God. I was so afraid that when I would mess up and I would sin or just say things I shouldn't, just do things I knew I shouldn't do, that God was gonna get me and that God was gonna send me to hell. I remember going into my parents' room in the middle of the night and just confessing that and just saying, I'm just so ashamed and so afraid of of God's glory and what he's gonna do to me. As I got older, I I sometimes continued to struggle with fear, the the fear of others and, and the fear of God's approval. But because of Jesus, you and I don't have to fear anymore. We belong to him. God is not against us. Some of you need to hear that today and really let that sink in. God is not against you. And because of what he's done for us at the cross, you don't have to be afraid of him any longer. God is holy, yes, our sin is great, yes, but the grace of Jesus is greater. Charles Spurgeon said we are always sinning, but he is always forgiving. Thanks be to God, we don't have to be afraid anymore. But notice that Daniel has an unexpected response to this good news from God. Look at verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. What does it mean to be mute? It means you remain silent, you don't say anything. And you know, one of the great things about our Bibles is that God's word is so honest with human emotion. What's happening here with Daniel? Daniel turns his face away from God, and I think what we're seeing here is the reality that sometimes, at least for a moment, grace can make people feel worse. We're all sinners, we we must believe that, we must confess that, but oftentimes, even once we've been shown God's grace, our lives can still be marked by shame. And so Daniel turns away from this visitor from God. He's not able to speak. I think that's what Peter was going through after he denied knowing Jesus through three times. He knew that Jesus would forgive him, but he felt shame and remorse. The grace of God, at least for a time, leaves Daniel feeling worse. Like when someone you love is in a holding cell and, and you go with the money to get them out and they're happy to get out, but they hate seeing you there. They hate looking you in the eyes. shame. Or the wife who with truth and grace confronts her husband over the inappropriate search history on the computer and the husband feels shame. I don't wanna face you. I don't wanna talk to you. The grace that you're showing me in this moment makes me feel worse. And God seems to amazingly understand that. And so he reaches down and touches Daniel a second time. Verse 16, and behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. And so the first time this visitor from the Lord touched Daniel, he touched him with with God's greatness and the greatness of his own sin. But this time he touches him with God's grace. The touch of God's grace. He touches his lips. And this reminds us of the seraphim flying from the altar to the prophet Isaiah and touching his lips and saying behold your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. the touch of God's grace. And by touching Daniel's lips, God is giving Daniel permission to speak. You don't have to remain speechless anymore. Tell me how you feel, Daniel. And Daniel gets honest with God. He tells him, I don't have any strength because of this vision you've just given me. He says in verse 17, how can I talk with you, my Lord? I'm dealing with so much. My heart is heavy. My strength is gone. And in those moments of life, God allows us to speak and tell him how we feel. And sometimes we can't speak at all. Sometimes we're just numb in the pain. I know that's how Holly's told me that she felt when she lost her dad, when her dad passed away at the age of 16. She didn't know what to feel. Didn't have words. Just numb. And I think that's why God gives us verses like Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. There's an old song based on those words. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is holy. Be still, O restless soul of mine, and bow before the Prince of Peace. Let the noise and clamor cease and be still. And so God allows us to speak to him in our pain. He also invites us to be still and to rest in him. And he promises us that he will come to us as we call out to him with whatever words we can. In verse 12, it says, Daniel, your words have been heard. I've come because of your words. And God still hears us today. He still comes to us in our pain. But there's one more time Daniel is touched by God here. Verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and he said, O man, greatly loved. Now we've already heard that, why say it again? because we always need to know we're loved. We say those words all the time to our spouses and our kids and our parents, or at least we should. And I guess someone could say, oh, they already know I love them. I don't need to tell them. But we never stop needing to hear that we are loved. And so this visitor from God says again, Daniel greatly loved. And then he says, fear not. We've heard that before. Hear it again. Peace be with you. Haven't heard that yet. Peace be with you. And this third touch of God to Daniel is the touch of God's peace. And it's the hope of the Gospel because we've been shown grace, we now have peace with God. The war between us and God because of our sin is now over. The wrath is done not because of our work but because of the work of Christ at the cross. The Apostle Paul said, Because we've been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. And oh, how we need the peace of Jesus today. And then he says to Daniel, Be strong and of good courage, and now God will speak to Daniel this vision, because Daniel's now ready to receive it. He's been strengthened by grace and peace, and he's now able to go and take this vision to God's people. Daniel's a prophet, that's his calling. Go tell the others what I've done and what I'm going to do. And the same is true for us. If we've been shown God's grace and peace, we're now called to go and share that, to be strong and courageous, and to share that with others, to make disciples. How could we not? want to share the love of Jesus. Now, you might be wondering by this point, well, who is this visitor from God saying all these things to Daniel? Who is this man? Well, some commentators think it's an angel, perhaps Gabriel. Gabriel appeared to Daniel in chapter 9, but that would seem a little strange because his name is mentioned there. It's not mentioned here. Also in chapter nine, Daniel doesn't tremble before Gabriel like he trembles before this man. So I believe a delayed explanation comes in the first chapter of Revelation. We see a very familiar description as a man appears this time to the apostle John. And John says in Revelation one, verse 13, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, sounds familiar, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. John then says, I fell at his feet, but he laid his right hand on me. He touched me, like with Daniel. And he said, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Who is this man? in the linen robe with the gold sash and the face that shines like the sun, the one that says to Daniel and to each of us, you are greatly loved, Daniel, I love you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who won the victory for us at the cross, the one who declares over our lives, you are greatly loved, the one who says, fear not, peace be with you. And he's asking us today, Jesus is asking us, do you believe that I love you? Do you believe that I died for you? You know, some of us feel so unloved. Some of us have felt like that much of our lives. Maybe we had a parent or both of our parents who never really showed us love. Some of us have felt rejected. But God is saying to you today, Jesus is saying to you, I love you. Will you believe in me? And you can believe in him today. You can receive Jesus today by faith in the gospel. And if you do, and if you have received the love of Jesus, I wanna challenge you to do something. We all know someone who who needs to be told today that they are greatly loved just like you've been reminded of that. There's someone in the contacts of your phone that needs to be told today that they are greatly loved. And so would you do that? Right now even, would you text a person that you know needs to hear you are greatly loved and just write those words. It might be someone who doesn't know Jesus and God might use that as an opportunity for you to tell them about his love. Now they might reply back to you, what? What are you talking about? You're crazy. Or they might say, wow, I really needed to hear that today. Because we all need to know that we're greatly loved. Now I intentionally skipped over verse 13 earlier. Um, That verse is just too hard. We're not gonna talk about that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So I wanna go back to that now. Verse 13, this this verse tells us that there's something bigger happening in Daniel's life and in our lives than we can fully see. And so after the Lord tells Daniel that he's loved, he says in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now everybody who understands exactly what that verse means, raise your hand. So this man, perhaps Jesus, says, I was fighting with the prince of Persia for 21 days and I stopped that fight to come to help you. Now theologians understand this not to be humans that are fighting, but spiritual forces. Michael is one of God's angels. He's fighting against the workers of Satan in the spiritual realm. So what is this fight all about? Well, do you remember how long Daniel was in his depressive state in verse two? How long was Daniel mourning? Three weeks, 21 days. And this messenger here says, I was fighting with the prince of Persia for 21 days. You were in depression, Daniel, but I was fighting for you. You were in a battle in your heart and in your mind, but I was fighting for you. I love this image from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, one of the top three selling books of all time along with the Bible. And the two guys on the right, one is named Christian, Uh, he's the main character of the story, kind of sees these various scenes in a dream and the interpreter there is explaining things to him. And to the right of this wall, uh, this wall is burning with fire. And this fire is good fire. It's the the work of God in a believer's life. And on the right is Satan. Satan is there and he's constantly throwing water onto that fire, trying to get the fire of, of God's love and grace in a believer's life to go out. But there on the left where Satan cannot see is Jesus. And Jesus is constantly pouring oil onto that fire. And as long as he's pouring that oil onto the fire, it will not go out. And this reminds us that Satan will not stop fighting against us, but that Jesus is fighting for us. When you can't see, when all you see is darkness, look behind the wall, Jesus is there. And God tells Daniel, I was fighting for you, Daniel. And that's not the end of the story. In verse 20, he says, but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. I fought for you, Daniel, when you were in despair. And now that I'm calling you to go, to go take this message to my people, I will continue fighting for you. The Persians will release my people back to Jerusalem. God reminds Daniel in verse 21 that after them will come the Greeks. I've told you this is gonna happen Daniel and through it all ultimately the Messiah will come and I will keep fighting for you. God is saying I am working in the spiritual world in ways you do not even see or know. And so why does that matter? Why is that important to us? because we can so often read our Bibles through a Western kind of scientific lens. But God is wanting us to see here that we are only able to see what's happening on the physical plane. But God is at work constantly in the spiritual world at precisely the same moment. And what happens in the spiritual world, that is actually what determines the course of human history. And so God is working, he's fighting, and he's fighting against a real enemy. As believers, we have a real enemy who wants to destroy us, Satan, and he will not stop pursuing us. But one mistake we can make as Christians is to tremble before the enemy and his demons. We don't tremble before them. Remember those words from the great reformer Martin Luther? The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. Satan will be defeated. Jesus will win, he always does. And so one Christian mistake is to tremble before the demons of this world, but another is to ignore them because we do have a real enemy. The Apostle Paul said that our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so, when we see all this darkness and all this chaos and despair around us, we need to remember that God is at work. He's fighting for us, breaking down strongholds. And he sang to Daniel. Even when you were not aware of it, Daniel, I was fighting for you. And the angels, including Michael, the archangel, mentioned here in verse 21, he's fighting, fighting against Satan and his demons on our behalf. I'm fighting for you. I'll keep fighting for you because I love you. And so that father reached across thousands of miles to a battlefield in Vietnam in hopes that his son would live to see another day. And his son did. His son later came home from Vietnam and gave his life to Jesus, the one who loved him more than his earthly father ever could. And like that young soldier, we believe in a God who says to us, yes, what you're going through in your life right now is awful, and there are hard days of bad news ahead, but I love you and I will be with you to give you peace and strength to face whatever comes your way. Through all of the pain, you are greatly loved. In seasons of depression, you are greatly loved. When you get that dreaded diagnosis, you are greatly loved. When you lose your child or your spouse, you are greatly loved. When you're laid off from your job, you are greatly loved. When that relationship ends, you are greatly loved. And when you're on your deathbed, breathing your final breaths in this earth, You are greatly loved in all of the bad news. The greatest news in history is that you are greatly loved. Your father is looking at you today and saying, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. You are greatly loved. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that your love for us is not based upon anything that we've done. We sang it earlier, nothing good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we thank you that we can say with confidence today that that you love us. Would you just allow those words to, to wash over us? Help us to know that we're greatly loved today, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, No matter how many times we've told you, Lord, I'm never gonna do that again, and then we fail and do it again. You don't love us because of how many times we've been able to obey you. You say to us, you could never obey me enough. You love us because Jesus obeyed perfectly in our place. And so would you just speak that truth into our lives today? And may we believe more deeply today in the gospel and the good news that we're greatly loved. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up